All right, we're going to start in the book of Mark, the first chapter of Mark. We will not stay in the book of Mark very long. We're going to get to the book of Acts, chapter 2, to continue our study, especially as it relates to one particular verse uh, in, in Acts, chapter 2, that I told you before we would study this verse, but we got to get some context before we can get to it. So look at Mark, chapter 1. We're going to look at the subject of baptism, uh, not, not as a doctrinal study. We might do that later or something, but that's not what we're going to do this morning. But we are going to talk about this subject a, in a, a little bit. Uh, there is a great deal of misunderstanding about baptism. Now, our church is, as you can see on the sign outside, is a Baptist church. Now, I've talked to so many people and... <laughs> Uh, so many people have, have said, well, you Baptists think that you are the only people going to heaven. How many of you have heard, that, heard someone say that to you before? <laughs> well, Sherry, brother, Sister Sherry, you might be the only Baptist in this room that's going to heaven then because we're all going, but we're not going because we're Baptists. Certainly not because we're Baptists. We're going because of what, if you're going, you're going because of what Brother Ari sang about, because of Jesus. But we are, we are Baptists, that is, we, we don't, you know, this is, we believe what the Bible says on the matter. And, you know, as Baptists, one of the things that, one of the distinctives of being a Baptist, and we believe this not because of a tradition, but because of the Scripture. One of the primary things that, that Baptists have held, and we hold, not because Baptists have held, but because it is a Bible truth, is what we call biblical authority. In other words, what we believe comes from the Bible. Uh, and that supersedes any tradition, which might be fine, a good tradition. Traditions aren't always bad. But the Scripture supersedes all things. It's supreme to all things. So as Baptists, we holding biblical authority and, and believing the Bible as our rule of faith, um, we, of course, hold the doctrine of baptism as very important. In, in fact, it is so important and I'm talking about baptism in water. Of course, you can't see the baptistry behind me. Uh, you go in that baptistry and you have to be baptized in water as a believer before you can unite as a part of our church. In other words, so, uh, so really technically speaking, we have children, young children that haven't been saved and baptized yet. You know, they're a part of our family, kind of, so to speak. But uh, to be a part of the church, you have to be a you have to be born again and baptized in water. Now, even though we believe that, even though we believe and we know that the Scripture teaches that a person has to be, in order to be baptized, they must be saved and have, express true faith in Christ. And even though we believe that, uh, that a person must be baptized scripturally before they can be a part of a, what is a New Testament church, a biblical church, as Baptists, that is an important thing. That is a, a very important thing. And that's something we don't, you know, there's no argument about. It's just accepted as the Bible, as the, as the truth of the Bible. However, the irony is that even though we hold to these things pretty strictly and unapologetically, uh, we are also not the people that believe that the Scripture teaches that baptism plays a part in a person's salvation. And that is the error right there. 
Many, 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 many churches and preachers, not just in our time, but in, in years past, have taught that, bat, that water baptism plays a part in someone's eternal life. And it is, as I said, it spans time and denominations, various denominations believe that. And I would dare say that there are some Baptist churches that if they don't believe it on paper, they practice it. So we're going to look at this subject. Let's pray, and then we'll look at Mark chapter 1. Father in heaven, we, we certainly just want to look at your word with humility. And we want to thank you for the truths of Scripture, Lord. These things that we study about baptism and more importantly about the gospel originated with you and what you have done and the, the precedent that you have set and the, the Scripture that you gave. Lord, would you please give us open ears and hearts as we look at your word? Would you please help me to know what to say to help your people and to help everyone that's listening here this morning? Lord, you know each and every person. You are the one who searches the hearts and reigns and knows the hearts of all men. So, Lord, according as everyone has need, would you speak to people's hearts this morning? Help us have a greater understanding of this truth and especially of how it inter interacts with the gospel. And so, Lord, please just guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'm saying is that baptism as a, as a Baptist is in, it's in the name Baptist. Uh, and listen, that's not something that, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed to be, to be called a Baptist as an identifier. But that's also not something I'm going to use to have a bad attitude with people. Right? We hold, we hold to what we believe that makes us Baptists based upon the Scripture, and we do, we do so with humility and meekness, right? And not as some one-up on the next, next guy or the next church. That's not what it's about at all. So in Mark 4, in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, we have the story that opens up at the book of Mark about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist wasn't a Baptist like we're Baptists. It's just the word Baptist just means a baptizer, a person who baptizes. And of course, John was one who did that. He was the first one who did it. In verse number three, or verse two rather, it says, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make, make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. All right, so John was a unique character. Verse number 6 says he was clothed with camel's hair, and had a girdle, or you might say a belt, of skin about his loins, and he ate bugs and honey. All right, and... Brother Stewart says, amen. Well, I'm not going to say what you told me yesterday at the Korean restaurant. You'd rather eat bugs than what he ate at the Korean restaurant, I'm afraid. <laughs> He's right. It was cucumbers. It was cucumbers. And uh, he, had, he, he told me he had to put on mis his missionary mentality when he went into and was served cucumbers without being asked. And so, uh, but I'd rather have cucumber any day than a locust, than a bug. Anyhow, John the Baptist was unique, a unique character, and God gave him a unique ministry. And here's what his ministry basically was, to summarize. John the Baptist went into the desert, 
And God gave him the ministry, the, the, the job to really preach against sin. John the Baptist's ministry was to prepare the way for Christ. Remember, John the Baptist was about six months older than Christ, and he was on the scene and was doing his ministry before Jesus was, was publicly uh, made himself known. And what John did is he preached hard against sin, and he did not skim, he did not cut any corners, and he did not uh, look lightly upon the sin of anybody, no matter what their station was. He preached against the sin of Herod, who was who ultimately, that ultimately cost, his, cost him his life. He was a bold preacher. But it, the, his whole, the whole reason he was preaching against sin is he was pointing out all the wickedness in that, that generation. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible refers to it as an untoward generation. Crooked, perverse. And John the Baptist preached to them that they needed to repent. Because there was one coming after him referring to Jesus, and he says, the shoes, the latchet of his shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose, and that they needed to prepare themselves for that one coming after him. And so when he preached, and God pricked people's hearts, and they, they believed John's message about, about the Messiah coming, Jesus coming after him, even though he wasn't revealed, when they believed it, you know what they would do? They would, just like we read in verse number 5, they were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So they would, when they wanted to repent, they, they knew they were living a, a wicked life, and they believed what John said, that he was the one to prepare the way, because John, he met all the conditions of a prophet in this time. And so to prepare themselves, they would repent, and they would confess. Now, let me just, let me just, make a, a note here. We've already talked about repentance in our study of Acts, but repentance is something that's done in the heart. It is a change of heart toward our sin, toward God, toward our sin, and that's something that's done on the inside. And when you repent, you, you know, you might, you might, you might, God might prick your heart about a sin, and you might repent of that thing, and you might say, Lord, I'm done. I'm done. And I can't see that. I can't tell that you've repented. It's something, uh, it's of the heart, just like faith. And just as faith is something that uh, is, a, is, you might say, an act or, or something that happens in the heart of a man, so it has an outward manifestation. Now, really, scripturally speaking, when a person exercises faith in Christ, the outward manifestation of that is confession with our mouth. We saw that in Romans 10 not too long ago. But the outward expression in this case with John of, of an inward repentance was confession of, that, of those sins and water baptism. You see, when they repented, they came to John and said, John, just like we read in verse 5, this is what I've been doing. I'm wrong. Confessing one's sin. And having confessed their sin, John would baptize them and it says in verse number, and this is, we're going to get to this in a little, a little bit later. It says, the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And that, those uh, four or five, uh, five words there, uh, six words, I guess it is. Five words, I can't count today. Those, those five words is the problem. That's what we're going to talk about today. But that's what they would do. They would confess their sin 
because they wanted to prepare themselves for the Messiah and John would baptize them when they confess their sin. Now that's important. In order to understand this, this idea later, we have to understand where it started. And this is where it started. Now, this idea of confession. Confession. You see, it wasn't good enough that they repented on the inside. There needed to be an outward expression of that. Now, look, we know God sees the heart. We know that God sees the heart. When we believe in Christ, God sees that. When we repent of our sin, we acknowledge our sin is wicked and we turn our back on it inside our heart. God sees that immediately. But see, when the, con the confession comes afterward, because we are, we are, in essence, outing our own sin, exposing our own sin, not waiting on another to expose it, we are exposing it of our own accord. You know, Proverbs chapter 28, verse number 13, listen to this. It says this, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. So you can have somebody covering their sin, and we can come along and we can uncover it and out that person and expose that sin. But that, that, there's, there's no benefit to that person. I mean, obviously, there's benefit in exposing the sin. But to that person in their relationship to God, there's no benefit. They feel shame. They recoil. But their relationship to God is not made better at all. But the, the, the next part of this verse says, But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them sins shall have mercy. So confession means I did it. Acknowledging it openly. And you know what? This is still a biblical principle. This is still a biblical principle. When someone comes to Christ and they believe on Christ to be saved, one of the things that should be manifested is an open confession of their sin. Well, I don't know where that's in the Bible. It's there. Acts chapter 19, in Ephesus, there's a whole bunch of people that had been practicing witchcraft. And when they believed, the Bible says, Acts chapter 19, verse 18 says, And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. You see, that is a mark of someone who has repented is that they're no longer hiding it. And so you can, you can, you can make a distinction when someone says, when someone says, oh, I got saved, or someone says, oh, I've, I believed in Christ now, and oh, I'm, you know, I've gotten right with God, what are they doing with their sin? Are they still hiding it, or are they owning it and saying, I did it, I did it? Because here's what, that goes to, that goes to their relationship to God. You know why? Because in order to come to God in the right manner, in the right heart, you have to come to God owning your sin, not hiding it. When, you come to, when a person comes to Christ and they want to be saved, they have to come as an open book. God, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm wicked. Not trying to hide it or manipulate or, or alter it or make it a little bit less than it is or whatever we might do, whatever we might do that, that tries to make us look, look not as bad as we truly are. No. It means to accept the shame. To own the shame. Because sin is shameful. Sin is shameful. It should be shameful. It should be shameful. But see, confession is an outward manifestation of a heart change towards sin, you see. 
We own what we've done. We acknowledge it's wrong. And that's what they were doing with John in preparation. Christ hadn't even come yet, at least, you know, been revealed as the, as the Messiah. And yet, here they are, confessing their sins. And as a token, now hear me, as a token of their repentance, they were willing to stand in the River Jordan, that dirty, muddy river. I've never seen it in person, but that's how I've seen pictures of it. They were willing to stand in front of everybody, confess what they have, they'd been up to, and be baptized. Now, that act of baptism, if the repentance in the heart is absent, that act of baptism is vain. Totally worthless. Hear me now. Without, this is called, in verse number, verse number four, it's called the baptism of repentance. That means it's associated with repentance. It's also associated with the remission of sins. That is, repentance is, leads to the remission of sins, and the token, the outward showing of that repentance is baptism. So it, it's regarding the remission of sins. Forgiveness. And you know what? All of us need forgiveness because we have offended a holy God. And we are not right with God. And we say, we say well, okay, well, I'll just ask God to forgive me. Listen, God doesn't just go around forgiving people. There must be a substitute to take our place. The penalty must be paid. You see, if God forgave a sinner and there was no penalty, to be, no penalty had been paid, then God would be unjust. He would be wrong. Because he would be letting a guilty person go free. He would say, well, God's a good God. Yeah, he's also, he is good, but he's also holy. And he's also righteous. And I, I've used this illustration before, but I think it bears repeating. If someone, is a, if someone committed a crime and stood before a judge in this world, and that person was guilty of the crime, and the judge knew he was guilty of the crime, and the judge did not apply the proper punishment, just waved it off because he's a nice guy. That judge might be good, but he's not right. You see, and this is the reason why God just doesn't forgive people. And here's the thing you need to understand. We all need to understand. Just as Brother Ari saying, without Christ and without the blood of Christ shed on the cross, there is no forgiveness of sin. There's no way that a holy God can let a guilty sinner go free. It is not possible because it contradicts his justice. And God doesn't, that, that's not God's nature. So God provided a substitute. So as I said, going back to John, if this person came to John and said, John, I want to get baptized, but that repentance had not happened inwardly, this, this, this act of baptism was totally useless. It meant nothing. It meant nothing. So in other words, here's the thing. Performing the form of something, even if it's this baptism, performing the form of something without the heart and substance of it is useless, and it has no merit at all. Look at Mark chapter 1 again. Look at verse number, uh, verse number 7. Because what we're getting to here is we're getting to some verses that seem to indicate that baptism is, plays a part in salvation. And we're going to address those. 
Verse 7 says, And preached, John preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. You see how John does? He's preaching this baptism of repentance for the remission of sin in verse 4, but he minimizes it. And he, 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 uh, he says, but this baptism, yeah, we're baptizing in water, but this is not what you really need to be concerned about. You really need to be concerned about the one that's coming after. That's on Jesus. So we see that baptism, the act of baptism can't be the supreme factor in whether someone is saved. But, but it is often taught as such. Look at uh, John chapter 3. John 3 and John 4. So we know that John the Baptist preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. So people would, would be forgiven of their sins in preparation for the Messiah. And the mark of that would be they, their baptism in water. That is the token of what had happened in their heart. And then in John 3, what we find is something that is often overlooked. John 3, verse number 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and, what? Baptized. And John also was baptizing in Enon near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Now skip down to verse number 26. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same that baptizeth, and all men come to him. And of course, we know what John's answer to this is. He must increase, but I must decrease. The point I'm trying to get to is that Jesus also baptized. So he carried on that, that custom. What John started, Jesus perpetuated and continued. And Jesus and his disciples, and in, in chapter 4, Verse number one, look what it says. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. So Jesus baptized even more than John. Although, verse two says, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. So basically what John was doing, Jesus did. He just carried it on. And of course we know John was beheaded. beheaded so Jesus, his disciples baptized and so this baptism is carried on. But now in this case with Jesus, he's, he's not baptizing under repentance, telling them to believe on Jesus who's to come after. Of course, Jesus is here. And so they were baptized in recognition of who Jesus was. In other words, if they wanted to be... Look at, look at chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 again. When therefore the Lord knew how that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more, what's the next word? What does that sound like to you? Our study of Acts, come on now. The study of the Great Commission, what's it sound like? It sounds like, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to serve all things. Disciples. So to become a disciple of Christ, of course, you believe in Christ. You come to Christ and believing in Christ, once you believed in Christ, in Christ's day, the disciples would baptize you. And that was, that was the outward symbol that you were a disciple. And it was really no different than it is now. 
So Jesus, Jesus continued this custom. He made disciples and he baptized, just like we do. You see this? Let's keep going. Then at the Great Commission, Jesus told the disciples, I'm leaving, but I want you to continue this custom of baptizing disciples, new disciples, new believers. And so that's what they did. Now let's go to Acts chapter number 2. <clears throat> so Peter's preaching in chapter 2, in verse 37... He finishes his message, verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And we could say that to this day. The same Jesus that died on the cross for your sin is also Lord and Christ. And he's coming again, and every one of us will give account to him. And if you are not right with him, the same one that was nailed to the cross for sin, your sin, if you're not right with him, he will judge you as Lord. And if you're not right with him, you had better make it a priority. You better make it your top priority to get right with Jesus. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then, then, said Peter, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, if you read that, it's obviously almost exactly the same as what we read John saying in Mark chapter 1. Be baptized. Now he has the name of Jesus Christ because Jesus had come. This is probably the very same thing that the disciples were saying and doing when Jesus was still alive. Well, he's alive now, but before he died on the cross. This is probably the same formula and the same custom they had before this. What everybody gets stuck on is this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. That's simple enough. For the remission of sins. But really, this is the same as what John was talking about. They repented, and as they repented inwardly, God saw that. But as the outward token of that, they repented, God saw it, they were forgiven in God's sight. That's the scriptural principle. And as an outward manifestation and token of that, they were willing to be baptized and confess what they had done owning their sin and the shame of it. I repent. And as the outward token, they would be baptized. And this is what Peter's telling them to do here. He says, repent. He says, be, be baptized. And then he attaches this, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see, he adds this other tag. So basically, here's what's going on. And I'm going to move on from here because I want to get to one more place. When the disciples... What happened in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples? You remember that? Those disciples had all been disciples of Jesus already and had already been baptized. So basically, he's telling these people, he's saying, you will receive the Holy, the Holy Ghost just like we have. If you are become a disciple of Christ just like we have, because of course we know the Holy Spirit fell in a different way than he does now. 
And that's what Peter is promising to them. So don't get hung up on for the remission of sins. See, here's what people read into this. They act like this is the only verse in the Bible, okay? Here's what they, they read into it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ in order to be forgiven of your sin. That's how they read into it. But the problem is this verse does not stand alone. It's one in a long series of events that we read in the Scripture that explain what is happening. So he tells them this. Then in verse 41, look at what it says. Then they that gladly received his word. You see that? There's the faith. We're baptized. The faith. Then they were baptized. This is what we call believer's baptism. This is why we don't baptize babies. Babies can't believe. This is the only scriptural method of baptism in the Bible. But this, does, this baptism in water doesn't save you. This baptism in water doesn't save you. And it also doesn't contribute to your salvation. However, I will say this. Say there was someone here that said, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't really, I don't want to get baptized. I don't want to openly confess him. Now, we know that the thief on the cross, the man who died next to Christ, believed on Christ, and he died nailed to a cross. He was never baptized. And of course, he went to paradise that day. Jesus told him so. But do you think that man would have been baptized had he been able to come down from the cross? Because here's the thing. His faith produced fruit. Or as James would say, his faith had works. But see, the, pro- the point is that God sees the faith. And that's when we get the forgiveness, you see. But here's the problem. Here's the problem with, with pe- the way people view baptism and way, the way baptism has been manipulated and altered and ruined often by, by Christian churches is that people think that because they've been baptized, they're saved. Their trust is not in Christ, but, it, but is in baptism. And if you ask them, are you saved? Oh, yeah, I've been baptized. And what that is is a subtle switching out of the gospel. So now we're not saved because of Christ. We're saved because of baptism. You know, the reality is I've been baptized. But when I got baptized, I was already saved. You see? When I was baptized, I was already saved. And I hope when you were baptized, you were already saved as well. That's the only scriptural way to be baptized. That's what I was saying. Going, you, you think especially of children. My, my wife is, was the victim of this kind of thing when she was growing up in Baptist churches. And she would, she would maybe come down to the front and talk to the preacher. And the preacher said, well, would you like to get baptized? Didn't even ask her whether she, was, she knew, knew God at all. Whether she had true faith or anything. All, all that mattered was get, getting her in that, that tank. This is a Baptist church. It's wrong. It's wrong. But, but see, what does it convey to people? It conveys to people that the water baptism is really what does it. Basically, it comes down to this. Yeah, yeah, you believe in Jesus, but you've been baptized. That's really where it, you know. No, no, no. The baptism is the outward token of the inward faith. It's the willingness to declare 
what is already in your heart. But God doesn't, God doesn't forgive us because we get baptized. God forgives us the moment we trust in Christ. And then the baptism follows. Now, everybody gets hung up on chapter 2, verse 38. And they say, see, you've got to get baptized in order to be you have to get baptized in water in order to be forgiven of sin. Well, if you look at chapter 3, verse 19, Peter's preaching, the same man is preaching. He says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. The word baptism's not in there. If, that was the, if baptism was required, why didn't Peter mention it? I mean, if it was the crux and everything hung on that, he, he didn't mention it. But it gets even more in Acts chapter 4, verse 4. Look what it says. Now, Peter, he says what he says, what I just read in chapter 3, verse 19. Repent and be converted. But then he gets, he gets persecuted and the authorities come in, ver, in chapter 4, verse 1. But then in chapter 4, verse 4, we see the outcome of Peter's sermon in chapter 3. In chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about 5,000. I don't see anything about baptism, but I do see faith. Now, did these people get baptized? Probably. But if baptism is the, is, the, is the supreme act whereby once a person goes into the water and they come out a saint of God, if that's the case, then why isn't it mentioned? But their faith is mentioned. Because the faith is what saves them. God re responds to the faith Man is justified, made righteous in the sight of God by faith. And that happens in the heart. And the fruit of that comes in the form of water baptism later. But the real kicker, and this is where, where it really matters, is in chapter 10. And we'll close here. Everybody gets hung up on chapter 2, verse 38, because it says, be baptized for the remission of sins. And it is argued from that verse that, see, in order to be forgiven of sin and be saved, they argue from that verse, you have to be baptized first. And when you're baptized, God forgives you. Okay? And I'm a, listen, I'm a Baptist. <laughs> I believe you get, when you trust in Christ, you ought to get baptized. But that's not what the Bible teaches as far as forgiveness and salvation is concerned. You say, does it really matter? Oh, yes, it really matters. There are people in churches that believe right this minute, hopefully none in this group, but who knows? They, they think because they've been dunked in water, they're right with God. Because they've been dunked in water, their sins have been forgiven. Because they've been dunked in water, the water washed their sins away. People believe this. It does matter. If it does matter what you're trusting in for your eternal life. Whether it's Christ and Christ alone and the cross upon which he died and his resurrection and his blood shed for your sin or whether you're trusting in some external ritual or rite that you participated in. So in Acts chapter 10, Peter's speaking to Cornelius. Let's drop down all the way down to 42. Acts 10, 42. 
This is the same man that's preaching in Acts 2, verse 38, that gives so many people trouble. Same man that's preaching in Acts chapter 10. Now, either Peter changed his mind, or Acts chapter 10 gives us a little bit more clarity. And that's probably the case. Acts 10, verse number 42. Peter's preaching this time to Gentiles, not to the Jews. Peter's just minding his own business, and God does something surprising. He was not expecting Peter says, and he, Jesus, commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it, was, that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, listen to this now, through his name, through Jesus' name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. See that? In Acts 2.38, it says, for the remission of sin. So people get hung up on that. Here it says, whosoever believeth shall receive remission of sins. The problem is, at that point, well, see, this verse plainly says that God will forgive you when you believe on Christ. Not, that's not just head knowledge. Yeah, I believe Jesus existed. No, that's putting your personal faith and trust in Christ to save you from your sin. That's biblical faith. The Bible says plainly in that verse, that God will remit or forgive your sins when you put your faith in Christ at that very moment because faith is in the heart and God sees the heart. And they say, well, if they believe, they probably got baptized. I agree, they, they did get baptized, but not at this moment. Look what, look what happens. Peter says, whosoever believeth in him, Jesus, shall receive remission of sins. Listen, I, let me just pause here. I feel like I need to pause. You need forgiveness. Please listen. If you die in your sin and you have not been forgiven, you will certainly perish in hell because you have offended a holy God and He will certainly judge you I'm not saying that with a frowny face. I don't like saying that, to be honest with you. Whosoever believeth in Christ shall receive remission of sin. You have either been forgiven of your sin or you haven't. You bear it. Like a weight on your shoulder. And if you die in your sin you will be judged for your sin. So as I said, the Lord does something and surprises Peter. Because normally up to this point, Peter has been preaching and he tells people they need to believe in Christ. They believe in Christ. And then after they believe, they get baptized. And then Peter, at this time in, in biblical history, the apostles would lay their hands on them and the person would receive the Spirit of God. But God does something different here. Verse 44, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because on the Gentiles would pour out the gift of the Holy Ghost. In other words, Peter's, Peter's preaching and he says, 
You believe on Christ and you'll receive remission of sins, forgiveness of sins. And at that moment, they believe on Christ in their heart. And all of a sudden, God gives them the Spirit of God immediately. They haven't even touched water. Verse 46, for, then, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water? that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So then let me ask you a question. In this case that we read here, did God forgive them before they were baptized in water or after? Did God forgive them before they were baptized in water or after? Before. How do you know? Exactly. They received the Spirit of God just like the early disciples did. That was the thing that God did that was amazing. And what that demonstrates then is that God did not wait to forgive them for them to get baptized. That God forgave them. They were just as much as uh, they were on their way to heaven at that moment they believed. And God demonstrated that fact because He gave them the Spirit of God. You see why we're, we're studying the Spirit of God? You remember that? And why it's so important that we understand the doctrine of the Spirit of God? Because that was the mark of the true article. Remember I told you that over and over and over? This is why it matters that we understand this. And then afterward, Peter says, there's no difference between them and us. They're, they're saved. They believed in Christ just like I have. Of course they should get baptized. But the reality is that's the way it was all along. It's just at this point, God gave them the Holy Spirit immediately. And that is one of the changes in the book of Acts. But what this also demonstrates very clearly and clarifies is Acts chapter 2, 30, verse 38 cannot be used to teach that someone has to be baptized to be saved. Because here's an example of someone that was saved before they were baptized. And it also establishes that biblical baptism is only to be given to believers that believe in Christ. So in closing, I want to say this. We make this distinction. We help people understand that a person is saved and forgiven of their sin when they trust in Christ, period. Period. Baptism has nothing to do with that. Therefore, one should not console himself and convince himself that he's saved simply because he received water baptism. This is false assurance. Oh, I'm, I'm good. I, I was baptized. I'm good. You need to check up. Because that's not how you, how you get saved. But if you think that's the way you get saved, you've been, you've been misled. The scriptures are very clear. Whosoever believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. Let's pray.